Well, hello, Seacoast. It's great to see anybody glad to be in church this weekend. I feel like this service especially is just glad to be in church this weekend. I am as well. My name is Josh Surratt. I'm your lead pastor. If I haven't met you yet, uh, really excited that you're here. I want to welcome all of you to church. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us maybe online. I know many of you are traveling this week, and uh, we actually just did a baptism during the last service of somebody who started coming to Seacoast online and then moved out here and came in. But we're glad you're part of our family, as well as those of you who are joining us at any of our locations. We're glad you're here. I know up in the Greenville campus, there's lots of orange that's being worn. Uh, and I know in Columbia and Irmo, uh, I'm wearing black for you guys uh, today. You know, this is, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I'm just going to go ahead and bring it up. It's, it's, you're not supposed to talk about it at church, but this is potentially the most divisive weekend of the year in Charleston and Seacoast. If you're joining at another state, you don't know, but there was a big football game and uh, in-state rivalry. And uh, so it can be hard because our founding pastor is a Gamecocks fan. My family are Clemson fans. And so it's hard to figure out who's going to preach the weekend after the Clemson Carolina game. Uh, because it's, it's sensitivity there. And so I decided this week we brought a Georgia Bulldog fan to unite us all in our anger against Georgia. And so we can all at least agree with that, except for that little rebellious group right over there. Uh, but, but I'm excited to be able to introduce you guys to a great friend. And for many of you, it's not an introduction because you know Pastor Ernest Smith. He's been here before. Actually, Ernest got saved at 15 years old in this church and was a part of our staff for about 15 years. He and I actually joined staff the same year, uh, summer of 2001. It's like American Idol. They were just going to see who, who made it. And uh, we both made it. I'm, I'm proud of you, man. We did it. But uh, become one of my best friends. I love him. And his message today is going to bless you. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I, I was thinking about that after that last service. In my home this week, my kids have said multiple times today, yesterday, oh, I just don't want this break to be over. I'm not ready to go back to school. I'm not ready to go back. And, and I just want to, if there's any of that in you right now, you're in the right place because it ain't over. Uh, God's actually going to do some great things with us today during church. And so would you help me? Ernest, I should tell you about him. Uh, he moved out to Colorado, uh, Castle Rock, Colorado, planted Front Range Christian Church, doing a phenomenal job, reaching a ton of people out there. If you are watching online in the Denver area, you got to check out Front Range Church uh, doing incredible work out there, but he's back this weekend for Thanksgiving, and I want you guys to help me welcome Pastor Ernest Smith as he joins us this week. Oh, man, so grateful to, uh, to be with you guys, man. Every time I step foot in this church, I'm grateful for uh, our experience here and uh, what God's continuing to use you guys for. The very first time I came here, I was 15 years old. And from that moment uh, to up to now, I mean, Seacoast, you guys are making a difference in the lives of thousands upon thousands of people all over the world. And I just want to take a moment, if it's okay, I just want to brag on you for a little bit, because some of the things I want to share, you, you may know, and other things you, you may not know. Did you know that this past Thursday, uh, you guys served thousands of meals to those right here in the area. That hundreds of you got together and you cooked turkeys and mashed potato and, and, and things like that just to be able to care for those who maybe are, are a little bit less fortunate. Did you know that over the, uh, the last quarter, the last few months, uh, you've seen over 12,000 people come through the Dream Center and the medical clinic there? 12,000 people in just a few months. That's incredible. People who are under-resourced that need the help, and you guys 
are helping. Not only that, but you've given away uh, 2.8 million toward uh, missions, which is incredible and, and, and impacts uh, kind of something that I do. I lead an organization called Bread of Life. We reach out to the unreached people groups of Kenya and South Sudan. Uh, and over COVID, you guys helped us build a clinic uh, in our area. It's the only clinic uh, within 35 miles. Well, think about that. So before this clinic, if you were pregnant, if you were a pregnant woman, you had to walk 35 miles to have a child. So we have many kids that would die. We have many women that would die in the process. And so we built this clinic to take care of a lot of different needs. And just recently, we had our first set of twins born in this clinic. And that's because of, of you guys. Yeah. That's because of you. So not only are you making a difference locally, you're making a difference globally, but you're also making a difference pastorally. Uh, with your investment, your generosity, the way that you guys serve and, and give in, in so many different ways, uh, the, the retreat at Church Creek, uh, you guys have seen over 200 pastors come through and uh, have an opportunity to kind of find some healing and um, you know, to be revived a little bit. This has been the hardest season for a pastor that I've ever seen. Uh, for most of my friends, I've had a lot of friends quit. I've had a lot of friends right now on the edge of burnout, and you guys are helping restore pastors. And so there's communities that you may never walk into. There's churches you may never, ever know about, but they're being restored and brought to health because of what's happening at the retreat at Church Creek. So Seacos, I just want to say thank you, and I want to give you a round of applause for all that you're doing, all that God's doing through this church. We're so grateful. Uh, so I don't know if you're joining. Some of you might be joining online. Some of you might be at, at the Manning campus, or maybe you're at Columbia and Irmo, and you're, you're really sad today. Or maybe you're at Greenville, and you're happy, but you still lost to Georgia. Like, wherever you're at, uh, we're grateful, we're grateful that, that you are here. And I realize every time I come back that less people know me and our family. So I want to introduce uh, kind of my family to you. My name is Ernest Smith, and I've been married to my wife, Sarah, for uh, it'll be 19 years in just a few weeks. Uh, so we've been married a long time. We, uh, we have two kids, an uh, 11-year-old boy named Wyatt and a 9-year-old girl named Waverly. Uh, we used to be here in the Mount Pleasant area. I was on staff for 15 and a half years. I came on staff just um, emptying trash cans, cleaning toilets, that type of thing. And then uh, they just kept me around long enough for me to be given different opportunities and to serve in different ways. And, uh, and then about eight years ago, God, we felt God calling us to go start a church in Castle Rock, Colorado. And man, we love it. God has been doing some incredible things. In fact, we just bought eight and a half acres to be able to build a building on, which is, is kind of putting our stamp on the community. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, just... Uh, the, the, the clientele that we have, a lot of the people are completely disconnected from the church. Uh, we had a, a guy a couple weeks ago that contacted us and said, hey, uh, I've never been in a church before. I don't even really know what it looks like, but there's so much evil in the world right now. I think something needs to change. And I'm like, man, like God draws people in so many cool ways. And so he came to church for the first time, accepted Christ that day, and his family's being transformed. And a big piece of that is because of the way that you've raised us up and raised up a bunch of leaders here and sent us out and supplied us with the, the funds we needed and all of that. So see, because you're making a difference uh, in places that you don't even know about. Uh, now, when I tell people that we're from Colorado, we always get two questions. Uh, they're the, always the same two questions. Number one is, Ernest, how much snow do you get? People think that in Colorado, it snows all the time. There's like eight feet on the ground all the time. And our answer is not enough. 
because we want more snow. We love snowboarding. We love throwing snowballs. We also like it when there's not forest fires in the summer. So we love the snow. So it's, it's never enough. And the second question I get asked is, Ernest, how much pot do you smoke? <laughs> not enough. Um, I'm just joking. We eat gummies. Uh, so <laughs> this is my last time at Seacoast, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to, to be here. Um, we, uh, uh, you know, speaking of questions, I, I think all of us have uh, asked questions about our faith or about God. In fact, by show of hands, how many of you would say, whatever campus you're joining us, how many of you would say that you've asked a question about your faith at some point? Like you've asked God a question, you've wondered, so, yeah, all of us. We've all asked questions. Now, some of those questions, they're pretty deep, right? Like, like God, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever wondered that? Ever asked that question? Like, why do bad things happen? seem to happen to people who are really, really good, or uh, God, why, why can't South Carolina ever beat Clemson? I mean, the, that's kind of a deep, deep theological question as well. Uh, when I was youth pastor here, we were on a retreat, and I had a student come up to me and said, hey, Ernest, I have a question for you. And I'm like, yes, this is the moment. That's why I'm in ministry, like to help lead this kid to Christ. I'm like, what's your question? He said, Ernest, does God fart? Thank you for that great spiritual experience, kid. I appreciate that. So whether your questions are, are shallow in nature or whether they're deep, we've all asked questions about God. And what I want to do today is I want to kind of hit on two questions that every one of us in this place has asked at some point. Is God good and is God dependable? Is God good and is God dependable? I remember when I first came to faith here at Seacoast, when I came to faith, there was a saying at that point where people would say, God is good all the time and all the time. Finish it for me. God is good. And I remember hearing that thinking, really? Like God is good. How good is God? And then God is good all the time, like all the time, like never. He's like never not good. God is good all the time. Like, that was really hard for me to fathom. And I think it was hard for me to fathom because of, of some of my upbringing. I, 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 I was raised in a home that uh, my dad wasn't the nicest guy. Uh, and some of that, some of his issues were spurred on from some of his upbringing as well. But some of them were spurred on just by decisions that he chose to make in our life. And so before ninth grade, my mom said, hey, we're, we're done. Uh, I got to get my kids out of here. So we moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Charleston, South Carolina. And man, that was hard. It was hard because I was losing all my friends. I was losing my school. I was, I was going to a new place, new culture, new everything. And it was really hard. And in that moment, if you would have said God was good, I would say you're crazy. Like this doesn't feel very good. If there's a God that exists, then he's not good or else he doesn't see me. Maybe he doesn't see my life. And so maybe he's good to other people, but he's not good to me. And God is good all the time. God's dependable. I remember in 10th grade, I was, uh, I was in a really dark spot. I um, was drinking a lot. I was having some other substance abuse. And I mean, I was just kind of done. I was in a place where I was just tired. I didn't want to be here anymore. And so one night I grabbed a bunch of pills and I went into my, my room and I prayed the only prayer I remember praying up until that point in my life. The only time that I ever talked to God was in that moment. I said this prayer, hey, God, if you're real, Take me tonight. I took a bunch of pills, went to sleep, and I woke up the next morning. And I was angry. I remember saying, God, clearly you don't exist because you couldn't even answer my only prayer. My only prayer that I prayed, you can't even answer that prayer. 
Clearly, you don't exist. Is God good? Is God dependable? Then eventually, a buddy of mine, his name is Josh, he invited me to Seacoast, and I came and uh, met Jesus and gave my life over to Christ, and man, my life began to change in some dramatic ways, and, and God began to transform me, and everything began to get better, and it doesn't mean my life was perfect, and I definitely wasn't perfect, but God was like moving in my life, and then I eventually met my wife, and we got married, and, and I was on, on staff here at Seacoast, I was learning ministry, and God was using me, and man, things were really good, and then we got pregnant. And man, we, it was awesome. And I say we because I gained 25 pounds during that time as well. So uh, we, were, we were pregnant and, and we found out it was a boy. Man, I was so excited. I just couldn't wait to have a son, man. I, I had all these dreams, right? Like of, of what my son was gonna be like. He was gonna be the best version of me. All the bad things away. He was gonna be the best version of me. He would hopefully look like his mom, you know, and all of that. And, and, and he was gonna be a superstar baseball player because that was my sport. And we were gonna go to all these games together and, and everything. And that was, that was my hope. And during that time, I had one ask of God. I had one prayer that I prayed. Just one ask. I was kind of like the people in Jesus' time. Uh, there's a story that I want to highlight. It's in John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, no worries. It's going, to be on the, it's going to be on the screen. And I love this passage. To me, John chapter 6 is one of the most fascinating chapters in the Bible. Uh, if you haven't read it, go read it uh, later today. But before John chapter 6, we see in John chapter 5, Jesus heals this guy who hasn't been able to walk for 38 years. Imagine that. Imagine seeing that. He had, this guy hasn't walked for 38 years. Everybody knows him. They know that he can't walk. And then Jesus heals him and he can start walking. And then you go to chapter six and Jesus is sitting there teaching a lot of people. The Bible says there's 5,000 men, which we know that based on women and children, there are probably between 15 to 18,000 people sitting there listening to Jesus teach. And the disciples come up and they're like, hey, Jesus, the people are hungry, man. You've kept them a long time. This sermon has gone a long time. We got to beat the Baptist to the, to the restaurant. So come on, Jesus, let, let them go. And he's like, you feed them. They're like, that's kind of crazy, man. We don't, we don't have enough money to feed them. We don't have enough food to feed them. He says, well, what do you have? So they look around. They find this little boy, and he's got like a, he's got like a Lunchable. He's like, well, bring me the Lunchable. So he takes his Lunchable, and he turns it into a feast to feed 15 to 18,000 people. Crazy miracle again. And Jesus says, hey, I want you disciples to get in a boat and go across the lake to Capernaum. I'm going to go off by myself. I'm going to go get alone and spend time with my father and just pray and, and all of that. And, and so the sun goes down. It's in the middle of the night. A storm comes on the lake and the disciples are like, man, we don't know what to do. The boat's rocking and they're thinking maybe it's going to capsize. We could die here. And then all of a sudden they see this figure walking on the water. They're like, man, is that a ghost? Is that a man? It's Jesus. So Jesus now healed a guy who hasn't been able to walk for 38 years. He's taken a little boy's lunchable and turned it into a feast. And now he's walked on water. And then the Bible says that when he got in the boat, immediately they were to Capernaum. It was like this supernatural power boat that got him to the other side. So the next day, the sun comes up and the, the people on this side, the people that Jesus just taught and fed and all that, and they're like, where's Jesus? We saw the disciples get in the boat, but where is he at? Wait, well, hold on. Are you telling us he walked on water? That seems ridiculous. That seems, that's, that's amazing. And the people on this side of the lake, they're like, hey, how did Jesus get here? We know the disciples were heading here, but Jesus, how did you get in the boat? Like, wait, hold on, you walked on water? So all the people on the other side of the lake, they came to this side of the lake, and now Jesus has got thousands of people following him, pressing in on him, and they say, hey, we got a few questions for you. The first question is, hey, Jesus, when did you get here? That seems like a logical question, right? I mean, like, you were over there, and now you're here. Like, when did that happen? Jesus doesn't answer the question. All he says is, you're seeking the miracle more than you're seeking the miracle worker. 
and say, okay, well, that, that, okay, what, yeah, but we have, a, we have another question for you. What does God require of us? Like, what does God want from our lives? What does God long for for us? And Jesus says, it's pretty simple, believe in the one whom he sent. Believe in me. Believe in Christ. It's really easy. And then they ask a third question that blows my mind. They ask a third question that, okay, remember what's happened. He just healed a guy who hasn't been able to walk for 38 years. Then he took a little kid's lunchable, turned it into a feast for 15 to 18,000 people. Then he walked on water. They say, what do we need to do? God says, hey, just come to me, believe in me. And the third question they ask, well, then, what sign are you going to perform so that we'll believe in you? What? Hey, you mean the, the guy I just healed? You mean walking on water? You mean the feast? Like, what sign am I going to perform? So Jesus begins to talk to them about bread coming from heaven. And that's where we pick up with a story. John chapter 6, verse 34. They say, sir, always give us this bread. If you're going to send bread from heaven, if God's going to send down bread from heaven, man, whatever bread that looks like or sounds like, give us some of this bread. Always. Do another miracle. Verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. So what he says, he says, I am the bread of life. That term, I am, is a statement, him saying, I'm God. It wasn't like us saying, like, I'm going to the store, or I am so-and-so's father. He's saying, I am, which means I am God. No Jewish person would have said the phrase, I am, during that time. So they all understood what he was saying. For us, we read it, and we don't really understand it because we're not in that context. But they all understood Jesus saying, hey, I'm God. I'm the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me, you'll never go hungry again. If you believe in me, you'll never be thirsty again. Meaning, I will fill you up with everything that you need. Maybe not everything you want, but everything you need. Sounds pretty simple. Just come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. And you'll be filled. Sounds really simple. And we go over to verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Oh, man, I know it sounds really easy. Like, just come to Jesus, believe in him. Jesus, we just kind of wanted a miracle. We just wanted you to perform another sign. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Look at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So most scholars would say at that time, Jesus, it's not talking about the 12 disciples. Jesus had a couple hundred disciples that would say, we're followers of Jesus. We're a disciple of Jesus. And so Jesus is telling them, hey, you come to me and believe in me. Follow me. It's really simple. And they're like, ah, but we just wanted a miracle. We just wanted you to perform another sign. I know it sounds really easy. Just come to you, believe in you, follow you. But man, that's really hard for me to do. Couldn't you just like, do another miracle? Couldn't you just perform another sign like to come to you, to believe in you, to follow after you? That's really, really hard. And it makes me ask this question. Do we go to God because he is good and dependable or when we think he is good and dependable? Do we go to God because we know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is good and dependable? Like that's who he is. That's his character. Or do we go to God when we think he is good and dependable? 
Meaning that when everything in life is going well, when like, man, life is good, money's good, the kids are good, the relationships are good, my schooling is good, like everything is good, man, God is good. God is good all the time. I love him. He's awesome. And then when things change, when things go a little bit south and things become hard, then we're like, God, where are you? God, do you even see me? God, I don't, I don't know if I want to follow you anymore. We go to God because he's good and dependable or when we think he is good and dependable. Now, this right here, this is a, this is a little vending machine, and, and I love vending machines. I think every person on the planet loves vending machines. You'll never say that because that sounds weird saying it out loud, but every person does. And here's how you know you love a vending machine. When you walk by a vending machine, you look in the vending machine. You want to know what's in there, and you're like, I had no clue I had a hankering for a Butterfinger right now, but I do, and I need that. The only time you don't like a vending machine is when it's one of those healthy ones, and you're like, no one should eat kale, much less from a vending machine. You know, all of us like vending machines. This is my vending machine right here, and it's got my favorite candy in it, which is jelly beans. Anybody like jelly beans? Anybody? Okay, good. Eight of you. Awesome. When it gets closer to Easter, you're all going to love jelly beans. I promise you. But this is, this is my favorite one. So here's how this, this vending machine works. I just pull a little lever, and then out pop some, some jelly beans. So I've got yellow, which is okay. I've got orange, which isn't bad at all. I got pink. Uh, that's Pepto-Bismol, basically, in a pill form. Um, and you just keep doing it until you get what you want. Okay, there it is. There's my, my favorite jelly bean. I don't know if you can see it, but it's the black one. That's my favorite jelly bean. I promise you. Somebody was like, that's a joke, right? No, it's not a joke. Some of you don't respect me anymore, and I'm okay with that. And others of you, I got you. I know where you're at. You can be public with your love for black jelly beans. But this is the way a vending machine works, right? Whether you put money in it and you press the little numbers, or whether you pull a little knob and it comes out, you keep doing what you need to do until you get what you want. You keep pressing the lever until you get what, we, what you want, or, or you put the money in and press the right code until you get what you want. And here's the reality about vending machines. We treat God like he's a vending machine. We think if I say the right things, if I do the right things, if I'm a good person, if I pray the right prayer, I mean, Ernest, doesn't the Bible say that if you pray in the name of Jesus, then you'll get whatever you pray for? Well, that's kind of taking it out of context. But if I, if I just pray in the name of Jesus, then God should give me what I want. In Jesus' name, I need a new car. I got a new car. In Jesus' name, bring healing right now. And when we pray those things, or we say certain things, or we think, if I'm just a good person, then God should give me what I'm asking for. God, should, I'm not asking for a whole lot. I'm asking for the things that he says he wants. He wants healing. I've been praying for healing. God, why aren't you healing? And we just treat him like a vending machine. I pull the right lever. And I should get the right candy out of there. I should get the right miracle out of there. I should get what I, what I want. God, I'm a good person. I do the right things. I go to small group. I fed some people on Thursday. I give money. And this is what I get. And when we realize that God's not a vending machine, we respond like the people did. In verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back. And no longer followed him. When we say, God, you should give me what I want, what I think I need, because I prayed the right prayers, or I did the right things, and when God doesn't, we go, this whole Christian life is messed up. God doesn't actually see me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. Maybe God's passed me over. 
Maybe God doesn't actually know what I'm dealing with. Maybe he knows everybody else's story and everybody else's name, but he doesn't know mine. Is God good? Is God dependable? Let me give you two truths about this topic. Number one, God is good even when our circumstances are not what we want. God is good even when our circumstances are not what we want. Now, notice I didn't say God is good even when our circumstances are not good. I didn't say that because I think our definition of good and God's definition of good are two totally different things. Like there are times in our lives that we go, man, this thing is not good. And God's like, yeah, but you don't see the whole story. That's good. It's going to result in good. Like, but God, this doesn't look good. This doesn't feel good. And God's going, yeah, yeah, but you can only see right now. I can see the past. I can see today. And I can see all the way into the future. So I know how this turns out for you. And I'm telling you, it's good. How do you know that it's good? How do you know that God is good even when our circumstances are not what we want? I mean, there's some of us, man, I've had so many conversations over the last two services with people that some of you are going through some really hard times right now. Some of you, you have a medical diagnosis that you weren't expecting a month ago. I have a friend right now that two months ago, she was we thought she was totally healthy. And now she's got a 20% chance of living. For some of you, that's your story right now. For some of you, your kids are, you're like, God, do you even see my kids? Do you know what's going on with me? So how do you know that God is good even when your circumstances aren't where you look at one event? You look at one thing, one thing only. Look at the cross. See, the cross reminds us that God is good even when our circumstances aren't. Why? Because we didn't deserve God's love. Like nothing that we did, we did deserve God loving us. It didn't deserve God giving us mercy and grace. Nothing we did deserved God, uh, 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 nothing we did in the, in the positive deserved God going, hey, I really want to die for you. It was simply because God's love. It was simply because God sees you and he knows you and he loves you that he sent his son to the cross to die for you. What we were owed was death and separation from God. And God said, but I love you too much, and I am good. So how do you know that God is good even when your circumstances aren't? Look back to the cross. Keep your eyes focused on the cross. And he'll remind you, I had you then, I got you now. So God is good even when our circumstances are not what we want. Number two, God is dependable even when others aren't. God is dependable even when others aren't. See, here's what I think we do with God. At least this is what I do. Maybe you don't. I think we project onto God our relationships with others. I think like how we have a relationship with somebody else, we didn't take that and we project that and we go, well, that's how God is. For example, my dad. My dad wasn't the nicest guy. He didn't do the greatest things. And so when people said, well, God is your father, I'm like, well, that's my example of a father. And if God is, if God is like that, I don't want anything to do with God. It doesn't matter how good of a father you are. Like God is a greater father than my dad was. And God is a greater father than I am to my kids. But so many times we'll project onto God based on our relationships. We'll go, man, my, this is how my spouse treated me. Or this is how my friend treated me or, or that Christian that one time. And, and because that person called himself a follower of Christ, we then project what they did onto God. Well, God must not love me. God must not care. God must not see me. God is dependable even when others aren't. So go back to 12 years ago, my wife's pregnant, and I had one ask. When I tell you this ask, you're going to think, man, you're very shallow. So give me some grace. 
We found out we're having a boy. I said, God, I just have one, one request. Please don't let me have a kid with special needs. I don't know why I, I asked for that. I think it was because I had a friend that was in ministry and he has a kid with special needs. And I thought, man, that's hard. And life is already too hard and ministry is already too hard. I don't need it to be harder than what it already is. God, please don't give me a kid with special needs. And then my son was born and man, it was a, <laughs> what a moment, right? I mean, for those of you parents, I mean, just a joyous time and we were happy. And, and for me as a dad, like I was kind of oblivious to kids before that. So like, I don't know what milestones people are supposed to hit and all that. I'm like, he's a boy, he'll be fine. And my wife, she's a pediatric nurse and she's like, Hey, Ernest, he's not progressing at the same pace of, as other kids. So we didn't really know what to do. We tried our best with speech therapy and different things that were going on. But when he was three, we ended up moving to Castle Rock, Colorado, to, to plant the church. And, you know, we came there because, you know, we felt like God was calling us to, to reach people who were spiritually disconnected. And about a year in, a friend of ours came to us and said, hey, we think you probably should go get Wyatt tested. Go get him assessed for some of the things I think I'm seeing in his life. And so there's a, a world-renowned center just about 20 minutes from us, which is just crazy. It's like the providence and grace of God that God would move us to a place to reach people. But God's going, but I got your family because I know what you're also going to need. And so we go to this assessment place and they do a bunch of tests on him. And they come out and they say, okay, well, here's some of the, here's some of the struggles that he has. He's got autism sensory processing disorder, dyslexia, and a few other things. My wife and I, we, we had driven separately, and so I got back in my car, and I was heading back to the house, and I was on the highway. It was lots of traffic. We were stuck in traffic, and I was just weeping. We got the one ask. The one thing, like, please don't allow this to happen. It's now our reality. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was in the, I was in the car and, 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 you know, there were, we were stuck in traffic and I'm, other people all around me, I'm sobbing. People are probably like, what is wrong with that guy? You know, and I, the only thing I knew to do was turn on worship music loud. Cause like, that was just my way of like trying to remind myself that like God is good, even when my circumstances are not. And God is faithful and dependable, even when others aren't. And I was weeping in that moment going, God, where are you? God, I need you. And God spoke very clearly to me. He said, Ernest, I love your son more than you do. I care about him way more than you ever can. And the story is not over. I'm going to do something with him. And I'm going to use him to transform you. And I'm going to use him to transform your community. So in that moment, I had this word from God that, okay, I have to somehow trust that you are good and somehow trust that you are faithful, and, but it was hard. But God has used that little kid to change my life. Like I'm a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better leader, a better follower of Jesus because of Wyatt being in my life. God has stretched me and grown me and transformed me because of him. But not only that, but God has used Wyatt to transform our church and our community. When we realized this was our life, we, 
We, we'd already seen glimpses of it. I mean, for a typical family, when they go to do something that, that seems normal, then it feels normal to them. But for a family with special needs, when you go do something that is supposed to be typical and normal, it's really, really hard. In fact, the most unreached people group in America are families with, with special needs. Because they don't know, can they trust this church? What happens if my kid acts out? What happens? And they, they just don't know. There aren't churches. There aren't a lot of churches like Seacoast that has a, a program specific for kids with special needs. And so we begin to say, God, how can you use our church to, to impact the families that are in our community with special needs? And so what we did is we created this uh, the special needs egg hunt. And so we, we said, okay, we're going to have an egg hunt for kids with special needs. And of course, we have the typical egg hunt where you throw like thousands of eggs out and kids go kill themselves and each other to grab eggs. And we have that as well. But then we have specialized egg hunts. We have an egg hunt for those kids who are visually impaired, meaning that we have eggs that are beeping. And so these kids who can't see, they can't see at all. They're finding an egg that they hear beeping. We, we have eggs, eggs that have magnets in them, and we give the kids a dowel rod. And so they're in their, their wheelchair, or they're maybe just scooting along the ground because they don't have any legs, and they're picking up these eggs with a dowel rod that has a magnet in them. Or we have, a, we have a, an egg hunt for, for it's called, we just call it our quiet hunt, and it's for kids with sensory processing disorder and autism where the, the noise and all the excitement is just too much for them. And so we go, okay. Okay, we're going to be quiet. Ready? Go. So I was standing there this past March. We weren't able to do it two years ago, but this, this was our sixth year uh, this past March. And, and I was standing there watching. I think we got some pictures. And I'm standing there watching, and I'm just weeping. I'm just weeping watching these kids who have never been to an egg hunt before. Something that seems so simple and so typical for every other child and isn't for these families. And God said, see, Ernest, I'm using your story as a part of their story. This wouldn't be here, and these kids wouldn't have this experience for the very first time without your story. These kids wouldn't be in church without your story. They wouldn't be coming to Christ without your story. Is God good? Is God dependable? I'll be honest, it hasn't been easy. It's been really, really hard. Our family lives here. It's been hard financially. It's been hard emotionally, mentally, relationally, spiritually. In every sense of the word hard, it has been that. But God has shown up in every moment. I remember calling Pastor Greg the day after we found out And Seacos just stepped in, man. It was right there for us when we needed it. Contacted some other pastors, and they were right there when we needed them. God has shown up every step of the process. And it hasn't been easy, and we have, we have prayed some miraculous prayers that have not been answered in our favor. My God is still good. And he is still dependable. What are you walking through? Some of you, you've come into this place, man. You're walking through some, some heavy things. Maybe you came into this place and you're, you're questioning the goodness of God. You're going, God, I can't be good because look at my situation. 
God today has been trying to speak to you. Or maybe you think, man, other people have walked out on me. God's also walked out on me. He's not faithful. He's not dependable in my life. And God's going, but I'm right there. Every step of this journey, I've walked with you. If you're sitting in a spot right now where you're weeping and you're mourning, God's heart also breaks with you. He says that he will comfort those who mourn. He's sitting in that pain with you right now. He is good. He is dependable. And just like Jesus called to those people, those same people that just wanted a vending machine God, he said, it's really easy. You just got to come to me and believe in me. And if you do, you'll be filled. Doesn't mean that you're going to have all your wants. You'll have exactly what you need in the moment you need it. Come to me and believe in me. Father, we come before you and I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that so many times in the Bible, we can see our story in the, the story of the people. And for those people asking Jesus those questions, God, that's my story so often where, God, I've wanted you just to do the miracle. Just show up in the way that I need you to show up. God, I thank you that even in those times when my prayers weren't answered the way that I wanted them to be answered, Father, you were still there. And God, even when my circumstances don't feel good, they don't see, they, they, they don't look good to me, they don't seem good. God, you are still good. And I know there are people who are in this place or who are watching online or one of the other campuses that, if we're being real honest, man, we've, came, we've come into this place today and we'd say, man, I, I feel spiritually disconnected from God. Maybe this is your first time in a church, or maybe you haven't been in a long time, or maybe you come every single week, but man, spiritually, you're just disconnected right now. And if that's you, I want you to know that God sees you. He knows your name. He knows your story. He's calling you home today. What does that mean? It means doing exactly what Jesus says. Just come to me and believe in me. Believe that Jesus loves you enough to die on the cross. That his sacrifice on the cross is enough. And he, will, he can provide you the peace. He can provide you the hope. He can provide you the strength. He can provide you exactly what you need in this moment. You've got to come to him and believe in him. So with every head bowed and every eyes closed, if you'd say, man, Ernest, that's me, man. I came into this place feeling spiritually disconnected and, and God has been speaking to me during this service. And you say, man, I just want to come home. I want to give my life to Christ or recommit my life to Christ. If that's you, I just want you to raise a hand. I want to know who I'm praying for. Amen. 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 Man, so many hands. Amen. Man, God, thank you for each one of these individuals, Father. For those who are watching online, you can raise your hand virtually. Those at another campus, raise your hand right now in this moment. And Father, I thank you that you know every single one of these individuals. You know their name. You know their story. And I thank you, God, that no matter what we're going through, for some of us, we're walking through some incredible pain right now. For some of us, we are mad. We're mad at you. We're angry that you didn't show up when we, the way that we thought you should. We're, we're upset that the prayer hasn't been answered the way that we want it to be answered. God, we're, we're, we're hurting. 
I thank you that if the story is not good, then the story isn't over. Because you are good and you are faithful. We just need you to show up in this moment. Speak to us. Bring comfort to those who need it. Bring wisdom to those who need it. Bring salvation to those who need it. Wipe the tears. Put your arms around us. And we sense your presence in a powerful way. In Jesus' name. Amen. So it's the time here at Seacoast. We're going to give you a chance to respond to whatever God may be saying to you. We do that while what we call response time. This is my favorite part of the service. Like everything we do leads up to this moment where we say, ask yourself two questions. Number one, what's God saying to me? Number two, what am I going to do about it? As you ask those two questions, you can respond in a variety of ways. Maybe you want to go to one of the crosses, and the cross is an opportunity to, to confess sin or to lay down a, a burden or a worry, anxiety, something you've been holding on to, and you're like, man, I don't want to carry this anymore. You can go to the cross, write it down, pin it to the cross. Maybe you need somebody to pray for you. Well, people all throughout the building that would love to pray for you. If you're watching online, just type in the chat right now what you need prayer for or join the, the prayer chat room, and, and we'd love to pray. Maybe some of you came here to church for God to go, I just need you to know you're not alone. You're not alone. So maybe you want somebody to pray for you. We also have some candles kind of around the room, and if you know somebody, maybe like this message isn't for you, but you're like, man, so-and-so needs to hear this, and they're going through a dark time. They're in a tough spot. Maybe you just want to go to a candle and light a, light a candle for them and pray for them. That God would meet them where they are. And that somehow they would see his goodness and his faithfulness. You can also give. That's a part of our worship. And then if you're a believer, let's take communion together. We, the, the, the little wafer represents the body of Christ broken for you. The juice represents the blood of Christ shed for you. And it's our remembering what Christ has done for us. That yet while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. His great goodness, his great faithfulness shown through on the cross. We celebrate that together. Don't feel like you've got to do anything. As a band leads us in a couple of songs, you can sit right where you are, but I would encourage you to at least ask yourself those two questions. Number one, what's God saying to me? Number two, what am I going to do about it? Let's respond together.